Hey, what's up everybody? I'm Armand Lee and this is the Quarterly Report. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to have a really fun show this week. My big bro, Ivan Carter, will be joining us all the way from Las Vegas to discuss the upcoming NBA Finals and LeBron James' legacy. Plus, if you're anything like me, you spend far too much time watching the NBA on television. But with the season coming to an end, it's time to adjust our viewing options. I will do so a little bit later. All that and so much more, but let's get started with our first topic this week. First quarter. the hot take of the week yeah man we got some brand new imaging you know for the show shout out to me for putting that together also to nelly hopefully you don't hear that so you don't sue my black ass but regardless hot takes you've heard me discuss them ad nauseum on this show and it's something that's gone wild like it's running rampant not just in sports media but really all throughout our media you know what I mean? No matter what you listen to, music, movies, news, unfortunately. And you've heard me critique, you know, the art of the hot take, but I can't act like my stuff don't stink because from time to time I get down with a hot take And this week, I'm going to let you guys in on one of my hottest takes. And it all started from an ESPN, the magazine article that you guys probably read last week about uh, I guess the conflict in the Seattle Seahawks locker room, mainly between Richard Sherman and Russell Wilson. Now, full disclosure, Russell Wilson is probably one of my favorite football players. If for no other reason than he is from Richmond, Virginia. You got to understand, being from Richmond, it's kind of wild, right? You know, you got all your friends, you know, me, all my family is from D.C. So, you know, one of the ways people know get down about their pride because richmond we have no professional sports team it's like okay well who's from your city so you know i don't win that argument with anybody from dc right you got sugar ray you know what i mean you got marvin gay you got all these great people entertainers whatever from richmond not to matt not to mention you know the whole capital of the confederacy thing but we're not going to get in that so one of the things is like, okay, well, Virginia. And Virginia is like this treasure trove of all these elite athletes. But they're all from, right, the Tidewater area. You know what I mean? But we'll get down, like, you know, oh, man, Iverson, shout out to Virginia. Or, you know, Michael Vick, oh, representing from Virginia. Bruce Smith, Virginia, boom, boom. Lawrence Taylor. And then everybody's like, well, they're not from Richmond. And that has been, like, throughout my childhood, the whole thing. Like nobody is ever from Richmond. You know, we got Blair Underwood, shout out to Blair Underwood. You understand? He's the only one. He was carrying the torch. And then, you know, Justin Verlander, he came through, but you know, you don't really brag. You know, all your partners talking about Sugar Ray Leonard and you come back with Justin Verlander. You know, that don't really, it doesn't carry the same weight if you understand. But then Russell Wilson, corny as he may be, came through. And Russ, man, you know, he's corny as hell. There's really no way to debate that. But he plays such a fun and exciting brand of football that you get down with it. So whenever he doesn't talk, you just don't listen to him. You know what I mean? Just when you see him, you see him play, and you see him do some crazy, amazing things. And then when he starts talking, you just turn off the television. But... This article came out about how this friction, at least between Sherman and Wilson, and if you read between the lines a little bit more, you probably think that it's more than just a Richard Sherman versus Russell Wilson thing. But that article, and this, this topic isn't about this article, it's about a broader uh, viewpoint that I've had for some time now. And it's, if you want to win, okay, before I start, again, let me sound the alarm. This is my hot take now, okay? It's super ridiculous, but I feel it like it's true. You understand? So you have been warned. You understand? Get the fire hydrant, you know what I'm saying? 
fire detector, make sure everything's going, everything's working. You know what I'm saying? Because the hot takes coming at you in three, two, one. You cannot win with a cool quarterback. If you want to build your team, your NFL team around a quarterback, you have to make sure he is lame. Okay? That's the take. Now, let me dive in. I know it sounds silly. But once you scratch the surface, you're going to feel me a little bit, right? Case in point, the Manning brothers. You understand? Like, let's say you had no idea who Peyton or Eli Manning were, right? And they were just this super successful guy at your regular 9 to 5 Monday through Friday job. And they were like, hey, man, we're doing a party over the weekend. Knowing nothing about their, you know, their sporting acumen, just what we what we know about them personally. You wouldn't want to go there. You wouldn't want to chill with them. You understand? And that is precisely what makes them mainly Peyton, right? But you got to give Eli his credit. Successful. And I use Eli for one reason specifically. You understand? Like, he plays in New York. And the only scandal Eli Manning has ever had and what, 14, 15 years in the NFL? Is this, you know, signing memorabilia, the signing jerseys, memorabilia, scandal, quote unquote scandal that he just got into? How lame is that? If you are in New York, you are the star of the football team in New York. And the only time you've ever stepped in it is because you may or may not have been selling jerseys that you told people were game-worn when they really weren't. That's the lamest thing in the world. Now, flip it. Let's look at Mark Sanchez. Now, we're not discussing talent. We're just discussing what type of characteristics you would want to build your team around. Mark Sanchez could be, you know, <laughs> the, the mail clerk at your job. You know what I'm saying? But if he was like, hey, I'm throwing a party this weekend, I really want you to come, you're going to be more inclined to be like, yeah, okay, I'm going to chill with Mark and his people. You understand? He went to SC. He went to New York. He was living the lifestyle. He hadn't won a game. He was on GQ. He was living the lifestyle, right? However, he couldn't win because I think Mark Sanchez probably got some coolness in him. Another example, Tony Romo. Talked about Tony Romo a few weeks ago. Tony Romo was... Antonio Romo, whatever his full name is, right? He was on the practice squad and he was shooting his shot at all these debutantes. He wasn't even, he didn't have any bread. He didn't have any stardom, but he was going for it. I feel like, I feel like that would be what I would, if I was just on the practice squad, you know, I'd still be trying to live the lifestyle and I'm cool as hell. And that's exactly what Tony Romo was doing. And I think that's partly why he couldn't win. Because he was he was trying to enjoy himself. He wasn't one of these super weirdo-headed. Like, look at Andrew Luck. You want to chill with Andrew Luck? Or would you rather chill with Tony Romo? I think that's an easy answer, right? Now, all rules have exceptions, and mine does too. I think Drew Brees is the one guy who you'd be like, okay, Drew seems like he, he carries himself a certain type of way. It's a cool guy, you know, in his lane. He's probably, you know, Zach Morris. So shout out to Drew Brees. And he's good. He's really good, obviously. But look at all the other elite quarterbacks. Tom Brady. Like, people, see, this is the thing. People get mistaken. Like, because Tom Brady's married to a model and he's the pretty boy Tom. So everybody's like, okay. Tom Brady is cool, but I'd caution you. Look at Tom Brady before he was superstar Tom Brady. See, like, him winning built his confidence. A lot of times, cool people just, they just have a certain aura, to have a certain air about themselves that whether they're the greatest at their profession or not, they carry themselves in a certain type of way. Look at how dorky Tom Brady was at the draft combine and before he got on. And now look at him, it's a difference, right? He started feeling himself once his confidence grew in his profession. That's not cool. When you tie yourself completely 
to what you do for a living, if your self-worth is based off of your profession, that to me seems like there's there's something wrong. You, we are well-rounded, or we should strive to be well-rounded individuals. You know what I mean? So it shouldn't matter how well or how great you're doing professionally. It may factor, you may have a bad day if your pocket's hurting, but that doesn't determine who you are as an individual. And I feel like with Tom Brady, when you just juxtapose him now and when he first got in the league, there's a huge difference. And the only thing that changed was he's now the greatest quarterback of all time. Hell, look at look at the young, so when he first got married, whatever, he had a situation with the actress. You know, she's okay. And then he upgraded to a Brazilian model. I don't even want to say upgraded, but while his old lady was pregnant, he left her to the supermodel. That speaks completely to, oh man, I'm feeling myself now. You know what I'm saying? And I can't really say that's cool. That's a little lame, but whatever. Tom Brady, I feel is a lame quarterback and that's why he's great. Aaron Rodgers, a lot of y'all base someone, how cool someone is based on their old lady. And that's not the way you can do it. Again, Aaron Rodgers, look at all the receivers and all the players who talk about how, how like kind of, you know, a weirdo Aaron Rodgers is. They like, they don't really like him. And many of them, especially earlier, like the receivers, like Donald Driver and all these other guys played with Brett Favre. Now, Brett Favre, again, he's an exception. Super cool, right? country Brett Favre's favorite movie is New Jack City I mean how cool is that you know what I'm saying Brett Favre went to Atlanta everybody in Atlanta loved him even though he was throwing picks left and right then went to Green Bay and became a superstar Aaron Rodgers I would say is probably more talented than Brett Favre but Brett Favre is far more beloved partly why it's because he's just so cool man you watch Brett Favre and you just like oh that's my guy who doesn't like watching Brett Favre? Like my dad, God bless the dead, was a Cowboys fan. He was, couldn't stand Brett Favre because of the Packers, but he enjoyed watching him play. You can't hate Brett Favre because he's so cool, man. Again, Ben Roethlisberger, we know he lame as hell. He a dirtbag. Jameis Winston, dirtbag. I thought we had Cam, you know, on the cool side. I thought we had Cam. Now, I don't know what the hell's wrong with Cam Newton anymore. He's his own case. But the greater point, and one of the reasons why Seattle's in this predicament, is because Russell Wilson gets all the attention. But he's so lame. So he's an easy target for guys like Sherman and Cam. Because they see him get all the bread. They see him get all the, the acclaim. But he's just a weirdo. So he's an easy dude to pick on. But Seattle is right in backing the quarterback like Russ because lames get you far when it comes to being a quarterback in the NFL. I know that sounds crazy. I know it's a wild hot take, but watch. Let me know the next time a cool quarterback wins something. Let me know. And let me know the next time you want to chill with Andrew Luck or Matt Ryan, you know, or Phillip Rivers. Good luck. That was the first quarter. My hot take blazing. You know, make sure you have the oven gloves for that. Again, follow me on Twitter. I'm at Armon, A-R-M-O-N underscore Lee, L-E-E. Also, follow the show at Quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. All right, the hot takes are all over for this show. I promise you. But... If you're a basketball fan, before we get to the NBA Finals, we need to start thinking about life after the Finals. And that's what our topic is for our second quarter. Second quarter. We're going to step out of the sporting arena for a second. And this is going to be something we're going to be doing more and more in subsequent weeks because the NBA season is almost over. Now, if you're anything like me, you spend so much of your year watching professional basketball. I love the NBA. I watch it during the regular season every night. I know a lot of people don't like when the first round went to seven game series, but I loved it because it just meant there was more basketball to watch. I consume a ridiculous amount of 
professional basketball. But this is something that happens each year, right? Come June, the realization that, okay, there's only going to be so many more basketball games left. Now, I don't watch too much television outside of the outside of the NBA. You know, I've got a six-year-old daughter. I spend a lot of time with her um, during the week. But she's at, you know, school, now day camp. And on the weekends, we play a lot during the day. So during the day, I'm fine. But when you want to unwind in the evenings or on the weekend night and you're not going out, Sometimes you just want to turn on a television and watch something that's pretty good. But the problem is, there's just so few options that resonate with me to watch. So I've got this list that people, they've been telling me, hey, you got to watch this show. This show you'll really like. And I'm trying to find out what is the best option. Because I know I'm not going to watch all four of these shows or five or whatever, however many they are. But I want to watch something. I want to invest some time into something to entertain me. So I'm going to run through a list of these shows that people have told me about Sworn are great shows. And hopefully you, my listeners, can help me. Give me some advice on what show to choose. So if you want to help weigh in on my summer viewing, you know, watching, all you got to do is Tweet me at quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E -E -E show with your choice, whether it's on this list or another show that you may be into. Let me know because there's a huge opening now when it comes to television. Now, the first show that I'm going to use, I literally have never met a person who did not like it. And this show is widely popular. Of course, I'm talking about Game of Thrones. Um, I have tried to watch Game of Thrones at least four different times. And I stopped at the exact same point on the very first episode. Now, part of me is like, man, you know, you got to give it a better try. But I go into every episode or every try now attempting to power through it. And I can't get through the one scene. And it's like this little guy, he's sleeping. He's knocking down this one youngin. And his brother walks in and he's knocking down another youngin. And they're talking about some type of, you know, scheme that they're trying to do. And I'm just like, yo, this is super weird. What's going on? And I can't get past it. I don't know why. It just, I just can't get through it. You know, I've had people who I really trust tell me, like, it took them a few attempts to get past it because it's weird. But they say, once you get through it, my guy, Mike Lynch, shout out to Lynch. He tells me, once you get through it, it's like one of the best shows ever. And that's high praise. And that's coming from somebody that I really trust. You know, so in the back of my mind, I'm like, man, you, you just go through it. Just watch it. You know, I've had other people tell me, Joe, just skip the first three episodes. And then you're right there in it. But I want to make sure I kind of know backstory and I know the characters because I do know almost everybody dies. So I feel like I should at least be, you know, at some some way, some way, shape or form connected to individuals who I'll be seeing die relatively soon. But for whatever reason, Game of Thrones, it just hasn't connected with me through 30 minutes of the first episode. And maybe I'm a harsh critic. I probably am. But that is the clubhouse leader because, again, I don't know anyone who has seen that show who doesn't swear by it. Not just like, eh, it's okay. I'm talking about love it. So maybe Game of Thrones, I'll what they say, third time's the charm. I don't know what they have for the fifth try. But I've tried to watch this show and I haven't been able to get into it. But maybe the fifth time's the, the charm. Second on this list of shows that people swear by is power. Now, unlike Game of Thrones, I have seen several episodes of Power, the first season. But unfortunately for Power, I, and it's unfair, my favorite show of all time is The Wire, okay? If you've seen The Wire and you don't like it, you and I can't be cool because I don't know what's wrong with you. If you've never seen it, you need to, but if you watch The Wire and you didn't like it, something's wrong with you. I don't want to know you. The Wire is that good. 
It's my favorite show ever. And unfortunately from for power, right? I compare it any show. If you if you're going to try to jump into like the drug culture and street culture and all this other stuff, I'm going to compare it to the best show of that genre and that's The Wire. And needless to say, Howard doesn't meet those standards. You know what I mean? Like I watched the first I watched several episodes, probably half of the episodes of the first season. And I was like, yo, this, this ain't it. Now, to be fair, a lot of people have told me that, you know, in subsequent seasons, power has gotten significantly better. I haven't watched it, so I can't, I don't know if that's the case, but again, I'm open because, you know, there's a, a vacancy in television viewing for me. And, you know, part of the reason I couldn't get into power, like I said, I compare it to the wire and it will never meet those standards. But also some of that stuff seems just a little bit too unbelievable, right? This guy is like this super underworld boss by the name of ghost and nobody, he's never been jammed up by like a snitch or an informant. Like nobody knows what he looks like or his real name. Again, I'm going by the first season. I don't know what's happened since. So I'm like, all right, man, that, that seems a little bit much that he's got, he's accumulated all this power, right? But he's never, no one knows what he looks like. He's completely off the radar. Nobody's ever wanted to snitch on him. He's got no informants. He didn't got any problems. And now he wants to get into the club game. And then later in the first season, he's the boss. But he's going to some little dude's house and shooting them face to face like, you don't get a worker to do that. You're going to do that yourself. That seems a bit much. And I forgot the craziest thing. His homeboy, his right hand man is wow. Super reckless on drugs. It makes no sense that nobody would want to get at the number one by his reckless assistant or not. I want to say assistant, but a second in command. The whole thing is kind of wild to me, but a lot of people love it. If you love it. I like it. You know what I'm saying? But a lot of people were trying to tell me, oh, check out power. I don't know if I'm ready for that because, I, like I said, same with Game of Thrones. I have tried to get through power. Now, I have gotten further with power than I have Game of Thrones, but it still leads much to be desired. Third on my list is a show, you know, in the new age, super technology. We got Masters of None. I'm a fan of Aziz Ansari. I think he's a funny dude. And his Netflix series is getting a lot of attention, a lot of rave reviews. My sister even told me to watch it. And there is no higher recommendation than my sister. But I tried to watch the first few episodes of the very first season. And it was cool, but it wasn't anything that kind of like captured me. You know what I mean? Like, that's the show that I'm looking for. I don't know if you guys have ever watched Luther. But the first time I watched Luther, that thing got me. I binged like the first three seasons in a weekend, man. Like, I love that show that much. That's what I'm looking for. A show that's just going to get me and not let me go. And Masters of None may be very good. It may get better. Same with Power. But initially, from the jump, I'm looking for something that will grab me and not let go. Like, just completely, you know captivate my attention and so many of these shows that people love and swear by they start off slow or there's too many lulls another show people tell me house of cards look man i watched the first season of house of cards and it was cool but it didn't it didn't meet the level that people were telling me about and now not to editorialize too much but though the writers of that show Considering our current political climate, they better be on their A game because if that shows fiction and we're trying to, you know, provide some type of escape and force our imagination to go to some places that we've never even thought and talk about suspense. Sheesh, I don't know if any writer has it in them considering what we're going through as a country right now. Again, I'm not editorializing. Y'all like whoever y'all like, but you're going to write about a, uh, a political thriller and suspense, man, you got, 
and you're trying to top what's going on in reality on the, the nightly news at 6, ish, I, God bless you. So these are the shows, the, 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 the main shows that people are telling me, oh, you need to watch this. Oh, also in Veep. Veep is another one. People have told me I need to watch Veep on HBO. So those are five shows. I'm not going to watch all five of them. I need to know which of those five are the best option. So if you want to help weigh in, tweet at me at quarterly show, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. Let me know which of those five you like, which of those five you hate the most, or if there's another show that I've missed altogether that you think I would really enjoy or that you enjoy. Let me know because honestly, I'm looking for help because really this summer, I, I hope Mr. Robot comes back for a third season. And that's really it. If Mr. Robot is not back, Atlanta's not coming back right now, there's a there's a huge hole as far as entertainment goes for the Lee household because I'm not sure I want to devote my entire attention to the big three basketball league. All right, you heard the horn. That means the first half is in the books. Before we get to halftime, make sure you follow me on Twitter. I'm at Armon, A-R-M-O-N underscore Lee, L-E-E. And follow the show on iTunes. Subscribe and rate. Review the show. Let me know what you like, what you don't like. All you have to do is go to iTunes, search the quarterly report. Once you see the icon, click on it. Give it a ranking with the stars. And then let me know what you like about the show. Rate and review the show. All right, so it's time for halftime, and I just went through an entire segment letting you know some problems that I'm having in terms of my summer viewing guide. But a few other people are having some problems of their own, but instead of talking to you about it on the quarterly report, they decide to call in our hotline bling, or as we like to call it, 1-900-QUARTERLY-REPORT. Check it out. What's up? This is 1-900-QUARTERLY-REPORT, giving you the best advice of any podcast. Line one, what's your name and your problem? Hey, this is Odell from New York. Man, I feel like everyone is checking for me at my job. I mean, I'm the nicest dude at what I do. But people start tripping when I don't go to voluntary things. Voluntary! People complain about how emotional I am when I'm working and when I'm falling. But now... Those same folks complain about me not caring enough. Doesn't make any sense. They even got mad when I got a tat on my ass and... Yo, 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 yo. You got a tat on your ass? Man, to each his own. But nobody needs to know all that. Anyway, it seems as if folks are being hypocritical. But that's life. You gotta take the good with the bad. But you seem like the type of person who loves the attention. So if you carry things a certain way, chasing the spotlight, you can't be mad when folks give it to you, whether it's good or bad. But just make sure you keep balling. All right, line two. This is 1900 Quarterly Report with your name and your problem. Hey, this is Eldrick from Orlando again. Hey, didn't you call back not too long ago? Yeah, but believe it or not, things have gotten worse. Damn. All right, what's up? Well... I'm trying my hardest to get back on my game, back to my prime. But I had a, a little setback. Like what? I got hit with a DUI around 2 in the morning on Memorial Day. Damn! <laughs> yeah, it was pretty bad. My mugshot is everywhere. I wasn't drinking. It was just pills. But look, I keep trying to get back to my old self. But things just keep on getting in the way. What should I do? Well, Eldrick, it seems like you got a lot going on. Without knowing all the details, you may need to chill out just a little bit. Behind the wheel at 3 a.m. on Memorial Day weekend after taking meds? And you by yourself? Come on, Slim. Forget about trying to recapture your old glory and just try to focus on getting you some help right now. All right, that's our time for 1900 Quarterly Report. Y'all stay safe out there until the next time. Yeah, man, from time to time, you know, I got to jump in the call center and help out those who clearly need some guidance. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this week's halftime. But 
Enough with the fun stuff. It's back to business. We got a whole second half to do, starting with my guest this week, Ivan Carter. <laughs> Joining us now this week is a guy I've known for, man, seems like forever. My big bro, he's really helped me out along the way starting my career. Uh, you remember him as a former Wizards beat reporter for the Washington Post. My man, joining us all the way from Las Vegas, Ivan Carter. Ivan, what's good, bro? Our life is good. Just I'm in Vegas, but um, try try not to pull a Tiger Woods out here. Lifts, <laughs> Ubers, you know. <laughs> hey, hey, don't let us see the mugshot, baby. No mugshot. Yeah, I don't want to be on TMZ. You know what I'm saying? You can't. You don't want to be like that. <laughs> hey, so let's jump right into it. Um, it's been a week since we've had basketball, but yeah. finally we're going to get the NBA Finals that we've all been waiting for since the start of the season. Um, but, you know, part of the NBA fatigue that's going on right now is, isn't is just the delay in games, but to fill time, we got to do this LeBron James comparison to Michael Jordan for like the umpteenth consecutive year. Uh, but what I want to talk to you first about is where or how do you view LeBron James's legacy right now? And what do you think this finals does to his ultimate legacy moving forward. I mean, I, I mean, hands down, if you know, if the, let's say if the guy steps off the curve and gets hit by a bus tomorrow, he's going to go down. He's one of the greatest basketball players of all time, and, and unique. And I, what my only thing is, I don't know why a lot of people force the the Michael Jordan comparison. To me, he's more of a Magic or Bird type in the sense of the, the passing ability, right? The playmaking, and you know, he is a really truly unique talent, and we can't we have to deny. You know, we've talked about it over the years. I've kind of, I like tweaking the LeBron fans. I like tweaking LeBron about the flopping and, you know, occasionally the whiny face and the, yeah. some of the dramatics in the media and all that. But there's no denying the guys, hands down, one of the best players. And to me, regardless of what happens in this finals, he's still got to be in that category. Now, where we ultimately rank him, I guess I'll, I say, let's wait until he retires and then assess it from there. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, LeBron is tricky because we've never seen a player at his size who can do all the things that he does well, especially the passing, but also the scoring and the athleticism and the durability. We just haven't seen anything like that. Um, it reminds me of one of still the highlights of my career. I don't know if you remember, but when we were working together early on, Jerry West came out and he said, and this is before LeBron had won his first championship. Yeah. And you guys got to remember, Jerry West not only is a great basketball player, but he's one of the best front office executives of all time. And he was saying about LeBron, yo, this guy, before he had won anything, he was he was putting him up there with Jordan at that moment. And that leads me to kind of my next question and just how difficult. We do it all the time. Uh, primarily with LeBron comparing him to Michael, but whether it's Magic Bird or whomever, the difficulties of comparing players from different generations, it's fun to do, but it's just next to impossible. And oftentimes I feel like it's a fool's exercise. Part of it is, and look, man, we all been in the barber shop and, and or the bar, you know, you're on a bar stool, or you're what you're just talking with your boys sitting, you know, about to play ball, comparing those who came before to guys who do it now is a generational thing that's gone on forever. I mean, people of our grandfather's generation would have been talking about, you know, Elgin Baylor and when we were talking about Michael. And yeah. people of, you know, I'm 42 years old. My generation, Michael and, and Magic and Bird are always going to be, in my mind, the apex because that's what I watched. Exactly. It's going to be hard now for these, for me to, with these young guys. Now, these young guys who've grown up on Kobe and LeBron – and now I guess Steph, I guess you want to throw in there 20 years from now when it's whoever, they're going to be defending those guys' legacy. Right. And, and so it's, it's on the one hand, it's a fun conversation to have, but I try to be very open-minded about it because you have to acknowledge a few things. Like Elton Baylor was, scored some 60 points in some games without a three-point line. With, with, we're in Chuck Taylor's flying commercial, flying like commercial flights from town to town. Some nights playing three games in three nights. Four games in five nights without without the sports medicine, without chiropractors, without a team of masseuses, 
the brother was basically just showing up and getting buckets in, in shoes that we wear to the pool now. <laughs> right. I mean, I'm just saying, so it's all, it's, it's, all, it's all relative. So I try to give respect to every generation and what they did when they did it, while also taking into account some other outlying factors that I believe have enhanced uh, a guy like LeBron or guys in this generation's ability to be great. They, they stay in Ritz-Carlton's. They fly on, on charter jets. They have a t- they have a massage therapist. They have a nutritionist. Right. You know what I'm saying? So it, it's it's all relative, and that's what makes these conversations so fun. And it's the same with boxing. It's the same with baseball players. It's the same with everything else. I just tend to always want to make sure I give these old guys their due. Exactly, like you said, it's fun. These conversations are fun, but the generational aspect is something that we can't ignore. Like, there's a kid five years old right now from Minneapolis. And there's a good chance that in 10 to 12 years, he's going to think Carl Anthony Towns is the greatest basketball player of all time because each generation has two to three guys who are better than the best. And, and that's who he grew up with. All the winning. And his great-grandfather was George Mikan. He was so dominant as a Minneapolis Laker. When the Minneapolis Lakers would go to New York to play the Knicks, it would say Knicks versus Mikan on outside of Madison Square Garden. They didn't say the Lakers. That's how that. People do not understand how dominant George Mikan was. And now to our generation, he was just some old dude who he was only like 6'9". He wasn't even that big of a big man. Yeah. But for that generation, he was the big man. He was Shaq. You know, it's all relative. And this is one of the important reasons why we should have these fun debates, discussions, because we'll never forget our legends of yesteryear. You know what I mean? The next generation will always have, you know, Jerry West, Elgin Baylor, George Mikan, they'll always hold them in high regard because we've always had this back and forth. So they always have a reference point of, man, Mikan was amazing, or Jerry West, he's he was the truth. So although the debates about this player versus a player from another generation may be silly, ultimately they play an important role. All right, I'm joined by my guy, you know, Ivan Carter, make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at Ivan Carter, the number nine. Now, a lot of you all know he used to cover the Wizards. He was their beat reporter for the Washington Post back in the arenas days. Um, and this offseason, you know, the Wizards, the, the biggest free agent this offseason will be Chris Paul, followed by Gordon Hayward. But I think the more fascinating free agent in terms of his contract and the ramifications league-wide is the Wizards' own Otto Porter. Now, I know you and I agree. We think Otto is an amazing basketball player. You need guys like Otto to win. However, locally in the D.C. area, I don't necessarily think he's as appreciated as he probably should be. That being said, I don't know what the Wizards do in terms of re-signing Otto because you've heard league-wide that he's going to get a max. Now, again, Otto is a really, really good player, an underrated player, an amazing player in many aspects. But I don't know if the Wizards can afford to max him. But because they have such a poor bench and so, you know, their, their cap space is so limited, they can't really afford to let Otto walk. So my question to you is, what do you think the Wizards should do with Otto Porter? And ultimately, what do you think they will do? I think they're, I think they're in between a rock and a hard place. And some of it goes back to Ernie's, some of Ernie's mistakes in the draft to have right. not provided this team with enough depth or, or cap space right. to make moves. They don't have a first-round pick this year. Yeah. They don't have so now, So say Sacramento Kings jump out or some team like that. And drop a big one on Otto Porter. You almost have to match it, right? And yet you almost can't. You almost can't afford to match it because now you're you're locked up to these three guys, um, and you, you have, so you're bringing the same group back basically. Exactly. Unless you can swing up some kind of sign and trade and make some kind of big move for 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 a for another big dog, you're kind of spinning your tires and you're stuck in that. That, that vortex with the Atlanta Hawks have been in forever, right? Where they right. make the play, they've made the playoffs every year for what nine years. We all know they're never winning a championship. Exactly. So it's it's really they're in a tough spot, and some of it goes back to the own, you know, Ernie's some of the mistakes he's made or the misses he's had, the young Vesselies of the world or what have you, that have right. put them in this box. 
So, I, look, I guess you, you hope that some team doesn't go out there and put the, the max on a guy like Otto. But there are teams that we know there's a reason why GMs, these GMs get fired every two, three years because they're yep. willing to do, give out outlandish contracts. I like Otto. I like Otto a lot. Right. I don't like, I, I don't like Otto at a max contract level because this TV money in, in the next TV contract getting negotiated is going to be, these contracts are going to come down. So now you're going to be stuck paying some dudes prices that were good three years ago. You know, it's like you go to go you go to the grocery store and you buy some vegetables. You need to cook them within the X amount of days, or or, or you got some bad vegetables. And, and that's just so they're in a tough spot. There's no easy answers. Do, do you try to do a sign and trade with Otto and like call up New Orleans? Like, did, did, would you could we get Bookie from you if we did some type of deal like that? I don't know. Would you would they do so? I don't know that they would, but. They're they're really in a tough spot. They're in a tough spot, and it and it goes back to some of the mistakes that have been made in the past. And and granted, even last year, some of the contracts he gave out, yeah, man, which just didn't make any sense to me. Yeah, it's crazy because before the new TV deal, Otto was one of the guys who would be undervalued. You know what I mean? So yeah. Because he was undervalued, you would be able to snag him up to a relatively cheap deal that Otto would outperform. And those contracts were extremely valuable. But now with the, the, the increased salaries, guys like Harrison Barnes, you know, he didn't help the situation because he got maxed last offseason. So Otto, who, you know, just a handful of years ago would be one of the more valuable contracts, now you're you're eyeing the prospect of signing him to, you know, 20-plus million dollars annually. But – it's not just that easy because Otto, not only is he a good basketball player, he plays so well next to John and Brad. Banging that three down this year, emerged. Yeah. That became his baby, which you need in this league. That's a valuable skill. I, I, don't, know, he, I don't know if he wound up leading the league in percentage, but he was right there in the top it. two or three. That's a valuable skill in the, today's NBA. I mean, let's just be real. It also doesn't help that John Wall goes on the record saying, that before he signs or before he feels comfortable signing an early extension, he wants to see the Wizards address their bench. But again, like we said, the Wizards don't have money. So it's going to be hard enough to try to address their bench with limited funds. Now you have to think about replacing a solid, a, a really good starter as well if Otto. And you don't have a first round pick. Yeesh. They're, they're, <laughs> they're locked in a tough space, man. That some of the some of the mistakes that were made in the draft, or past moves that have robbed them of flexibility. You know, I never, I'll go back to this. I never understood the strategy, where it, it it was shocked and I read it by a lot of people who are really smart people who write about the Wizards for a living. Well, the Wizards are saving all this cap space for the summer that one summer. I go, well, everyone else has the same cap space. Everybody had money, unless you know Durant's coming. In, in back channel, like his agent, like, yeah, yeah, you know what? He really wants to come home. What are you doing? You're, what are you saving it for? So then you wind up giving it to, to, to Mahimi and Jason Smith. and it, 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 it just didn't make sense. It didn't make sense. The strategy never made sense to me, and it, and it blew up in their face. Once again, I'm joined by my guy, Ivan Carter. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's really a fun sports follow. He talks about basketball, football, soccer, boxing, the whole nine. A really fun follow. He's at Ivan Carter 9. Again, he covered the Wizards for the Washington Post for years. Um, and like I said, Ivan, uh, you and I, we share similar sports uh, interests. Not only are we huge basketball fans, but you, like myself, love boxing. So I'm going to get you out of here with this. Uh, last weekend, we were watching Errol Spence, and we are tweeting back and forth. And you hit me with an interesting nugget, a take that I really haven't considered before. Basically saying how for a generation, essentially, boxing lost uh, an era of fans because pay-per-view really kind of eliminated a lot of their own viewing power. I'd like for you to kind of expand on that. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I was thinking about, you know, me, as a, I'm, I'm 42 years old, and like, I remember being in an age where you would turn on ABC Wild World of Sports or whatever right. and watch real good quality boxing for free. And granted, there was some there was some closed circuit, and then pay per view was just creeping in. But once that sport took it to the lengths of we're making it exclusive, 
your entire generation of children aren't watching your product on regular TV. So if their mom, dad, or whatever aren't willing to pay for that pay per view, they're not watching your sport. And then they want to act. They want to be shocked why people are getting into UFC or MMA or or just not or ignoring uh, the fight game altogether. It's because they can't they can't access it. They don't get to see it. Uh, it, it would happen to any other sport. Once you once you give something for free, it's hard to ask for it. I think I think American newspapers are going through this very thing yeah. right now, trying to put stuff behind paywalls. For years, if it was free online, now you're going to charge me to log on and read it. It's tough to do. Once you give it away for free, hard to ask money for it. Now there are some other factors. I think you know there was a, there was a time in our country where, where you know the, the, the American heavyweight is today's NFL defensive end or NBA's. Right. Uh, a small forward, that that right. type of body type. A lot of dudes just don't want to get hit in the face a lot. I can't blame them for that. Right. So we've seen we've seen the sport kind of evolve. We know it's huge south of the border. We know there's still going to be a niche among Latin American fight fans. And now we see it really, really coming up in, in Great Britain because yeah. they have a bunch of qualifiers hitting at one time. So yeah. I don't think the sport's dead. I do think, though, the sport has definitely cut its nose off to spite its face. And the other factor is, and you and I have talked about this a lot, I'm perfectly willing to pay 50, 60 bucks for a quality main event and right. a good card. A good quality card. Give me three good fights. But what some of these cards have done to me is you're giving me a so-so main event and then some a garbage card, and then you, right. want, you want me to pay 50 bucks for it. Nah, man, not doing it. All right, good stuff. Once again, that's my guy, Ivan Carter. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. Really good sports follow. And he'll touch on some other things as well. Really good follow all around. He's at Ivan Carter 9. Ivan, man, thank you so much for joining me this week. All right, brother. Talk to you next time. Hey, man, hey, go play some Prince, all right? <laughs> all right, man, I will do. God bless the dead, by the way. God bless the dead. All right, that's my guy, Ivan Carter. We're three quarters down, so we're going to finish this week up strong with our last topic this week. Quarter. Being a fan is amazing. You know, no matter what side of the fence you're on, whether you cover a team or or a sport or the only contact with a franchise you have is because you watch them on television or you buy a ticket or a jersey we are all fans on some end of the spectrum and being a fan is amazing it, it allows you to tap into parts of yourself that you ordinarily wouldn't um it allows you to buy into something greater than yourself civic pride hope all these things, you know, being a fan of a sports team or a sport athlete, um, it's something that, you know, in my opinion, and if you are listening to a sports podcast, I'm assuming you feel the same way. It allows you to, you know, being a fan of sports allows you to enhance, you know, part of the living condition. You know what I mean? Like, it's fun. It really is. But sometimes... We as fans jump out there. And this was no more evident, to me at least, than several instances last week. It started out in the, well, let's say game three of the Cavaliers-Celtics series. And again, this is going back some time because at the time you're listening to this, the NBA Finals will either be hours away from starting or have already started. But last week, you know, after Cleveland lost their, you know, first game of the playoffs to the Celtics, LeBron James is walking to the, you know, post game and a fan, a fan in Cleveland is like chirping at LeBron, like talking crazy, apparently tell him how awful he played. Now, I don't think it was anything, you know, outlandish, anything too reckless, anything too offensive, but LeBron, you know, he came back was like, yo, well, what have you done? <laughs> and the guy responded talking about how he played for some Division three college. Like, LeBron James hits you with what have you done in terms of basketball. And this dude, God bless him, had the gumption to start citing his stats from a Division three college. Like, you talking to LeBron. Now, that's so benign. That's so minuscule. I really don't have a problem with that, but I was, I was kind of shocked at the number of people who criticized LeBron for even asking the fan, "Well, what have you done?" Right? But that's like, 
then came Saturday. Like I was just talking with Ivan. You know, I'm watching the Errol Spence Kell Brooks fight. And in the 11th round, Kell Brook took a knee. You know, his eye, he said he was seeing double vision. He thought that the orbital bone had been broken. So he took a knee and, you know, for lack of a better word, quit. You know, he relinquished his belt without being knocked out. He just took a knee. It was too much for him. No mas. And instantly, my Twitter feed was going, oh, my God, Kel has no heart. Kel's a quitter. He died on his knee, yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, whoa. We have to reassess. We've got to recalibrate these things real quick because we have allowed ourselves, because of our fandom, to contort ourselves to believe that we and these supreme athletes are on the same plane. Like, we don't, I feel oftentimes we don't, we don't feel that we are paying to see these people do things that we cannot do. You understand? Like criticizing an athlete is one thing, but saying a professional fighter has no heart after his orbital bone has broken. That's going several steps beyond lunacy. If you ask me, you know, most of us would never sign up to get punched in the face, let alone go almost 36 minutes doing so with someone who is trained to beat you up, right? And then we're going, so like many of us, if we got punched one time, and I've seen a lot of Bama's fight, they, a lot of people who run their mouths, the first one who gets stole and they go to sleep, right? So all these people who are coming across my Twitter Twitter timeline talking about Kell Brook, who at the time was a world champion, saying he has no heart. Slim, would you take a punch from Errol Spence? And it's not just boxing. Every Sunday, how many times do we do this, right? Where a receiver goes over the middle, but he has alligator arms. And we're the first people to be like, oh, you soft. Oh my gosh, you don't want contact. Ah, yada, yada, yada. No, they're 300-pound men launching themselves as if they are missiles waiting to cause your body havoc. We have no idea how dangerous the sport of football is, although more data is coming. We st- I don't believe we even know we scratched the surface. And we'll be the first people to call somebody soft for not going in the middle. Knowing damn well we would do 10 times worse. So I just feel, and it's not just fans. Again, members of the media, we do that too. Like reading an article, read a blog, listen to sports radio, and listen to the adjectives people use to describe some of these athletes as if not A, they're not human, but B, we don't admire, like, The entire basis of sports and how we cover sports and how we view and consume it is we spend time, we spend money. Many of us spend more time and energy with our favorite athletes and teams than we do with our family. We are making this investment because at some point we have to understand they're doing something that we admire because we cannot do. And then in that same breath, we will criticize these people, question their heart, question their determination, their grit, knowing damn well we wouldn't even think about doing it. You know, at halftime, we talked about Odell. Like, the Odell-Beckham story was another thing that hit me this week. That was just, like, insane, right? You got people this past season. Odell's crying on the sidelines. He's throwing these tantrums. And everybody's like, man, Odell's too emotional. He just cares too much. He's got to calm himself down. It's not that serious. Yada, yada, yada. A few months later, a voluntary camp, he doesn't go. And now we're questioning whether he cares enough. Like, I don't care if you are a Beckham fan or not. But 
If you are a reasonable human being, you understand how silly that sounds. And we do that all the time. Like, you care too much when you're on the sidelines. Stop making a fool out of yourself. You hit your head on the kicking net. You're crying. You care too much. Oh, well, you need to be going to this voluntary camp because if you don't, you don't care enough. Like, well, which one is it? Like, are we going to make up our minds? Like, we throw the term gladiator all the time in football. But if a receiver shorts arms, short arms a, re a reception, oh, well, you're soft. Okay, well, you go ahead and do it. You know, you want to call a guy soft. All right, Richard, sitting on your couch, get your big ass up and try to run over the middle and see, you know, if you're willing to lay yourself out of there or, when Cam Chancellor is come barreling down. And the go-to excuses. Well, we don't make millions of dollars. Well, what difference does that make? Honestly. Like, I hear that all the time. Because athletes get paid so much money, then we feel that we could just treat them any old type of way. Now, being a professional athlete, being in the public spotlight, definitely comes with you know, a certain level of understanding, you will be criticized. I'm all for that. Athletes definitely, you know, are fair game when it comes, professional athletes, excuse me, are fair game when it comes to being criticized. Because, again, they're making their living on the public stage, just like a musician or an actor. I'm all for that. But there is a line, you know, there absolutely is a line. Telling a boxer he has no heart is, or he quits because his orbital bone broke, I think we all can agree is crossing the line, especially because none of us would be willing to take a shot from another professional athlete. And we get caught up with, oh, well, you make a certain amount of money. Well, if we're going to do that, their degrees, yes, professional athletes make an insane amount of money by and large, especially the ones who garner these type of reactions. True. But let's say you're making $50,000 a year. You know, everybody, you know, doing what you got to do. Times are hard, trying to make ends meet. There is someone somewhere who sees you making that $50,000. And to them, that's like being a millionaire, right? Some of this stuff is very relative. There are people... And I'm not even talking about third world countries, but if you want to do that, you know, if you got a car, you make it $60,000, but, you know, you may not be the, and that's another thing. At your job, are you an Odell Beckham type of a worker? You know what I'm saying? Like Odell Beckham is one of the best professional football players in the world. And we're criticizing him based off of how much money he makes, but Let's break this down to the lowest common denominator. You know, there's someone who looks at someone making sixty or $70,000 like, man, that's so much money. But you wouldn't even be close to being an Odell Beckham type of worker at your profession. And I'm not pointing the figure. I'm not an Odell Beckham, you know, of my job. And I got a damn Emmy. You feel me? Like, we all have this kind of, okay, well we have a certain type of understanding what is basic civil decency. But when it comes to these professional athletes, it's like, okay, well, damn that the rules don't apply to them. And I'm just like, we got to be better. We're questioning men's heart who are literally training to fight men's heart who go over the middle with 320 pound physical specimens charging at them with one objective and that's just to break you we do all these ridiculous things as fans and as members of the media and is at some point we just have to be like what are we doing like at some point common sense must rain on us and like okay maybe i need to chill because ultimately all these things that we're watching, all these things that we're consuming, A, they're for our entertainment.
Nothing more. This isn't anything in regards to politics or living conditions. They're games. They really are. They're not that serious. Hopefully, you didn't think this show was too serious. And hopefully, I didn't come off too preachy on that last segment. But that stuff rubbed me the wrong way. So, hopefully, I'll, I'll leave that with you to end this show. And, you know, we become better fans in the process. We become better writers or bloggers or sports orators or whatever you want to call it. But make sure you follow me on Twitter. I'm at Armon, A-R-M-O-N underscore Lee. Also, follow the show. We're at Quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show. That's my time this week. We'll be back even better than ever next week on the Quarterly Report.